The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. My name is Alan. Welcome once again. Very glad that you're here. We're in a very exciting series called Apathy. Now, it, it, but the, the reality is that it's, it's real. Apathy is, is, is common in our relationships. It's common in our relationship with, with God. And so we're just going to go after it and just, and just talk about it. Apathy is a, is a real thing, and it sneaks into our most significant, most, uh, most intimate relationships. Last week, I talked about the fact that apathy uh, slips into marriage uh, after folks have been married for a while. It's, it's typically not there uh, when you're dating. It's easy to love and respect one another and, and oh, yeah, I love you more. Uh, and the whole dating uh, process, that's all easy. But it gets more difficult to, to bring that in when, when uh, you've been married for a while and maybe there are moments, weeks, months that are not fun. And so how in the midst of apathy can we have hope that there's something more, that we're not just trying to survive uh, this marriage, that, that we want to thrive and for it to be all that God may want it to be. Uh, in fact, last week I talked about this art of marriage, a 12-week journey that we're doing here in a number of different contexts. And uh, it can happen on Sunday morning. It can happen on a Wednesday as part of our Wednesday night life deal. Also, folks are doing it in D groups. I think there's about 38 couples that have uh, jumped in to be a part of that. And I just want you to know it's not too late if you want to jump in and be a part of that. Uh, it's happening actually right now as a part of the 11 o'clock celebration. You could jump in on that next, uh, next time, or you could find one of the other options that are available. Uh, information is available on that in the lobby uh, at a table out there. But the, the reality is that, that, that apathy kicks in. And this morning what we're talking about in terms of apathy is that apathy is distant. When our relationships become apathetic, then people become distanced. People come, uh, are at an arm's length and we don't let them close. And so there's, there's no intimacy and there is uh, apathy that sneaks in. And today, what we're talking about specifically is how that affects our relationship with Jesus. That apathy, that distance can surface in our relationship with Jesus. John, in his first chapter of his gospel in the New Testament, he says that the Word, which is Jesus, uh, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love a paraphrase of that verse in the message where it says, God moved into our neighborhood. I love that. God moved into our neighborhood. I mean, imagine what it would be like if somebody who's famous, that it's important to you, somebody that you would look up to, actually moved into your neighborhood. Imagine what, what that might do for you. If Wayne Gretzky moved into Lakewood, I'd be a different person. I would. I would, uh, for, on one hand, I, I would use, I would start off a lot of sentences with, you know, I was talking to my friend Wayne the other day. And I would just kind of bring up stuff that had nothing to do with the conversation just so I could start a sentence with that. Uh, and Wayne, on the other hand, he would have to look into the details of how restraining orders work uh, because of my involvement. I would probably be just standing outside of his house, you know, and, hey, Wayne. <laughs> I mean, it would be different. It would be totally, it would have an impact on my relationship. So the question today is, with regard to Jesus, is he distant for you? Or do you believe God, through Jesus, has moved into your neighborhood? 
Boom. Let's pray as we launch into that. God, we thank you that you have done that. You've made your dwelling among us. And as we're going to look at this morning, that you have redefined what our relationship with you can be like. And so, God, I know that there is a wide variety of distances uh, between us and you represented here in this room, that some are very close and understand exactly what this is all about. And for some, this is a, this is a brand new concept. And God, I just pray for each one of us. We would either be encouraged with our intimacy or would he be nudged just a little bit closer to you that the distance that's create that is between us and you would be would be shorter as a result of our time together here today we pray this in jesus name amen well we are in a year-long series called ad anno domini the the year of our lord we're calling 2012 the year of our lord and the idea here is that we are uh, talking about what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus. Um, uh, that it's not just learning information about him, but it's imagining being one of the 12. Imagine being that close to him, that we're not just one of the people way up on the hillside among the thousands, barely hearing, bearing, barely being able to see Jesus, but we're actually one of the 12. And it's really a journey from safe to dangerous. You know, we say Mountain Park, safe place to visit, dangerous place to stay. And many continue to be confused by that, but it really is a journey. There's safety in keeping our distance and saying, you know, I want a little bit of space here. That's, that's why some people uh, like to sit in the back because it's easy access to get out. Not you guys. I'm ta- it's more than 930, folks. <laughs> but not, you guys are fine. But so, there's some safety in that distance. Don't, some people are looking over at them. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Uh, there's safety in that distance piece. But when we become one of the 12, when we imagine ourselves entering and having that closeness to Jesus, boom, and he's right in front of us, it, it's, it's a more dangerous journey. And so the question is, where is Jesus for you? How distant is, is Jesus? Because for many of us in the church that we grew up in or in our understanding of Jesus, he's kind of way off. If Jesus remains in a statue in the back of a church, a big, glorious, humongous, beautiful statue in the back of the church, that's kind of distant. He's, he, he might remain just a concept or theology. He might remain a beautiful image on a stained glass window. What about right here? Intimacy is kind of the opposite of distance. I mean, when there's greater distance, it's harder to be intimate in those relationships. And uh, I mean, how many of you have had long distance relationships, whether it's dating or it's friendships? That just has an effect on the relationship. And you have high expectations when they're entering the car and you're saying goodbye and you say, we are gonna stay totally connected and uh, I'm gonna write you every day and I'm gonna come visit you as soon as you can and this is not gonna affect our relationship at all. But it does. Of course it does. That distance has a significant role in that. In fact, there's distance that is a part of our experience here on Sunday mornings. And it's part of the safety here. There's safety in, in the fact that I'm up here and you're there. And there's this unwritten rule that says you're not allowed to just at any time to just walk up and come sit on the stool and clip your toenails or whatever you might want to do here. That's not cool. And, and, and just, I, I kind of leave you guys alone. There is this invisible force field, this three steps. We don't penetrate the three steps. You don't go across the three steps. But what if I did? 
I mean, that'd be different, right? When, when it, what if I broke through that barrier? Yeah, whoa. That's different, isn't it? That's scary. I mean, what if I, I'm, what if I moved into your neighborhood? It's a little different, right? I, have, I just have, I can tell I can have more of your attention. See, some of you, I can tell you're just kind of looking away. Go back up top. Go back up top. Like, excuse me, can I, just, can I just come sit with you for a minute here? How you doing? Good, good to see you, good to see you. So when I'm up there, there's a little bit of safety because, you know, you can text or you can... Uh, you know, you can, there's a lot of other things that you can be doing with your time. Your time is valuable. But, but for the folks here around, they, 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 you don't really like me being here, do you? I mean, there's just, I hope none of you are new. It's your first time because I don't do this a lot. But, but, but there's something different about that distance here. And there's, it's just not quite as safe. You can't ignore me. You can't ignore me right now. There's no way you can ignore me. And see, that's what it is when, excuse me, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate sharing that space with me. But when, when people are distant in our lives, whether it's physically or emotionally or whatever, when people are distant, then it's a whole lot easier to, to avoid them, to ignore them, and for that, for that just not to be relevant in our journeys. It's the same thing in our relationship with Christ. When Jesus is distant, it's easier to ignore him to avoid him. And what we're going to look at in a story this morning is that we could miss out on what he has for us if we keep him at arm's length, keep him at a distance. The story we're going to take a look at is found in Luke chapter 8. I invite you to turn there. It's a a story about a woman who is unafraid to draw very close to Jesus, to kind of break these the distance that was between her and him, and to have an, have an amazing experience. Uh, our story is uh, found in, uh, like I said, Luke chapter 8. I invite you to turn there. The New Testament begins with the four authorized versions of the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this story actually is found in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The same story is found in all three books with just very uh, small differences. And this story is actually part of another story. It's actually, it happens on, in all three cases right in the middle of another story. Jesus is going to heal, is going to raise a little girl from the dead. And in the middle of that whole story, he has this encounter with another woman. Not that, I mean, just stay with me. Uh, uh, see, that would be a good quote right there. Just, just pull that out. But no, uh, Luke chapter 8, beginning halfway through verse 42. As Jesus was on his way. So again, he's just in the midst of doing some other things. Jesus is not distant with the people who were following him. He's very connected. The crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. In the book of Mark Uh, The writer actually gives more information here saying that she went to a number of different doctors to try to get this taken care of and that she spent all of her money to get this taken care of, 12 years of bleeding, and she uh, she couldn't figure out what was wrong here. And in desperation, she has this encounter with Jesus. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched 
the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. She touched the edge of his cloak. Jewish men, particularly rabbis, would have these blue twisted tassels on the end of their garment. And they had them as a reminder of obeying the laws of God. And it's actually uh, given as a, as, a, as a request from Scripture. This is what you are to do. This is what you are to wear. We see this in the book of Numbers in chapter 15. Wear these tassels on your clothes so that as you're walking, you touch them. It's a reminder of who God is. It's a reminder of the commandments that He's inviting us and challenging us to in terms of how to do life. And so the irony here is that she is reaching out for one of these tassels and actually breaking the law that those tassels represent. She's breaking the law because she is bleeding. And according to Leviticus chapter 15, she is ceremonially unclean. She is not supposed to do what she's, what she's doing. Uh, according, to, according to the old law, the, when they were under the law, when uh, she was bleeding, and she'd been bleeding for 12 years, she was ceremonially unclean. And this is a big deal. This, means, this meant that she could not participate in the religious experience of her faith and of her culture. This is more than just an hour on Sunday. She could not participate in all sorts of things. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't go to the mall. She couldn't go to the YMCA. She couldn't go to Taco Bell. She could do the drive through She just couldn't go inside. So it's not, it's not the exact same uh, situation there. But, but this was, this was uh, a significant uh, situation for her. And so she was not supposed to be doing what she was doing. She was ceremonially unclean. And anyone who touched her or anyone that she touched would also be ceremonially unclean. She's not supposed to reach out and touch anyone, let alone this now famous rabbi who's walking through the street, who has a job to do, has work to take care of, business to take care of. She does a very courageous, dangerous thing by reaching out in her, in her place of need and touching the edge of Jesus' garment. And then the story continues. Verse 45, Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. I love Peter. I love Peter. He's always the guy who, who opens his mouth, who steps in. He's the guy who steps out of the boat. He's the guy who will do it, say it, jump in. I can imagine Peter here in this situation getting a little bit of condescending tone to himself and maybe saying to the disciples, the other disciples, I got this one. I don't know. I'll take care of this. Jesus, there's a whole lot of people touching you, okay? <laughs> what are you thinking? Let's go. Let's come on. Let's go. I love Peter. Man, I love this guy. So, so Jesus says, who touched me? And it's a, this, is a, this leads to a profound theological question. Did Jesus know who touched him? Now, now it's kind of rhetorical. And there's, you know, yes and no, I think, are both, are both right. And here's why. Is it possible for Jesus to, to, to ever be surprised? Jesus is God. God is omniscient. It's all-knowing. Is it possible for, God to, for Jesus to be surprised? If the disciples tried to throw a surprise 30-second birthday party for Jesus, 
no matter how hard they worked, no matter how well they planned, would Jesus walk in and go, yeah, I knew. I mean, what, what do you think about Jesus' humanity? How human was Jesus? Is, was, is Jesus just so high up in a statue in a stained glass? Or do you believe in his flesh and his blood? This is a big theological question. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Scripture gives us these beautiful hints of how human Jesus was. When he was fasting in the desert for 40 days, it says he was hungry. A very human need, a very human sensation. And in the story where Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus goes to the well because Scripture says he was thirsty and he was tired. Very human experiences. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that he says, he cries out to God, he says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. That there was anxiety in that experience. How could, how could Jesus, who knows whether the cup can or cannot pass him, how could he say, if it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me? And one more, just a little example. There's a story of a centurion, a, a Roman soldier, who comes up to Jesus and says, hey, will you heal someone, a friend of mine? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll come and, and help you in just a little bit. And the centurion, centurion says, no, you just say the word and he'll be healed. And Scripture says that Jesus is astonished with the faith of the centurion. He's astonished. He's surprised He's not neutral with it. Jesus was fully human. Could it be that he could even have been surprised? He experienced human things, human emotions, human pain. He wasn't just pretending so that we might feel or think that he was human. The nails that went in his hands and the nails that went in his feet, they really did hurt. He was, he was fully human. It's, 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 it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing uh, uh, theological question. How human was Jesus? Let me uh, continue here. Verse 46. He says, but Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And here, I imagine Peter backpedaling a little bit because he's jumped in and then someone touched me and then Peter's probably doing, well, I didn't know about the power thing. <laughs> I mean, nobody told me about that. You know. So he's backpedaling. Love Peter. But Jesus here says, someone touched me. Something different is happening. That, yeah, verse 42 says people are kind of bouncing up against him and, and crushing him from all sides, etc. And, uh, uh, but there was this one woman who intentionally sought Jesus out. It was different. Something was different from the people bumping up against, against Jesus. She was intentionally getting close to him. There's a need for us to intentionally have an effect on this distance that may be between us and God. 
What are, we, what are you doing to intentionally decrease that distance? The, does it have any effect? Does a desire to break free from apathy, to, to draw closer to Jesus, does it have any effect on how we talk to Him? I mean, how do you talk to Him? How do you pray? What kind of language? Do you pray as if Jesus was in the very room that you're praying? Do you say things like, Jesus, I need your help right here in this moment. Please, I don't understand what's going on. Come, help me. Speak to me. Be with me. Or do you talk to Jesus as if He, after He ascended into heaven, that He stayed up there and He's watching us from a distance? And so uh, He's beyond the earth's atmosphere, and so you have to talk loudly with an English accent. Oh Lord, we beseech thee to cometh into thine own troubleth that we're in, or whatever you might say. I mean, how do you talk to him? How do, do, do you feel like you always have to be serious when you talk to God? So, so you're praying with your kids. And, I mean, you're, you're playing with them, and, and you're tickling them, and you're laughing, and you're having fun. Okay, okay, it's time to go to bed. Let's pray. Lord. Because we have to be serious because we're talking to God. Is it okay to laugh when you talk to God? Is it okay to be goofy, to be silly? Do you see Jesus as human enough to allow that to be part of an experience with God? When you talk to God, does it sound like you actually know Him? A few weeks back, somebody, uh, as part of the leadership of our worship experience, somebody led a prayer and began by saying, hey, God, and then went into the prayer, which is really interesting. That, that phrase is actually a part of Mountain Park history. About 10 years ago, as part of our student ministry, they were very intentional to, con- to help people connect with, with God in, in an intimate way. And so prayers in student ministry always started with, hey God, and always ended with, right on. So it was always, and all the people said, right on, instead of amen. Now what do you think about that? What, what, is, is that completely irreverent and unacceptable? Or is that intimate? What do you think about that? Because Jesus comes in and he resets our relationship with God. He redefines it. He comes in and and no other rabbi would refer to God as Abba. No other rabbi, uh, to our knowledge, has ever done that. And Jesus comes in and talks to God as Abba Father, which means Daddy. It's a very intimate expression that Jesus uses. Abba Father. Jesus just redefines the thing. He has an encounter with Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul is blasted by the, by the light, and he says, Who are you? And Jesus does not say, I am the Messiah. I am the King of Kings. I am Mr. Dr. Christ. <laughs> he doesn't say that. It says, Acts, Acts chapter 9, he says, I am Jesus. It's me. It's this sweet, beautiful, intimate, I am Jesus. Paul, can we talk about what you're doing and what's going on in your heart? Can we talk about this? I I want your heart to be changed. I want to get closer to you than you ever imagined that I could be. 
when Jesus was with the disciples right before he was crucified and he offered to wash their feet and then it was Peter again who steps up. Love Peter. And he's the one who says, you will not wash my feet, Lord. Misunderstanding what God was trying to do in that moment, that God was trying to redefine the relationship between him and us. That God now, through Jesus, is willing to touch our ugly, private, intimate feet. God was trying to do something new and different. And before that, uh, there was an experience where the, the, the disciples were trying to stop some kids who were getting close to Jesus. And they were saying, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Stand back. Step back, kids. Keep your distance out of respect. Keep your distance. And Jesus says, let the children come. And then there's famous painting of children crawling all over Jesus, and he's smiling. Could you imagine your Jesus having that experience with kids? Now, we all understand why the disciples would say that, why the disciples would say, no, no, no. No, no, no. Keep your distance, kids. It's the same reason that many would not be comfortable with a prayer starting with, hey, God, because we value reverence. We want to be reverent. And that totally makes sense. It's, it's why many connect with the King James Version of the Bible, with the these and the thous and the thines and the arts. It's why some get offended when we don't capitalize pronouns that refer to God. In our lyrics and in our literature sometimes, uh, we, we don't do a capital H for him or, or he or whatever. There's no mandate that says we have to do that. It's not wrong to do that. In fact, it's a beautiful thing to be reverent. That's a whole other message. But reverence is intention with intimacy. And may our reverence, which is a beautiful thing, may that not get in the way of our, of our intimacy. May that not create distance between us and God. When Jesus died on the cross, Scripture says that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. There was a curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And it's in the Holy of Holies, that's where in the history of Israel, that's where God resided. God is in here and the people are out here. And when Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two. Jesus was redefining the whole thing. God was saying, I want to have a renewed relationship with you, a new covenant, a new testament, a new story that is going to be laid out here from here on as part of the AD story. It's a whole new deal. If that's what God intended and set up, why would we want to make efforts to stitch the curtain back up? Let me finish the story here. Just the last couple verses. Verse 47, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She wanted to remain unnoticed. And if she had not been bleeding for 12 years, if her own efforts through the doctor, through the, the, the spending of her money, if that had taken care of the bleeding, she would have remained unnoticed. And she would have missed 
this experience here that we find in Scripture. In the famous Sermon on the Mount that's found in beginning in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins with the Beatitudes where he says, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. In other words, blessed are those who are in need because if they're wise, that need will draw them closer to God. Blessed is this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years because as a result, she did whatever it took, broke the law to get close to Jesus because she knew that's what she had to do. Blessed is that woman. Blessed are those of you who are experiencing difficult times right now. You're enduring difficult uh, physical hardship. You're having to work through some, some health issues. You are emotionally going through the loss of someone you care about. You are financially bankrupt or emotionally or spiritually bankrupt. You're in a season of apathy. Blessed are you because if you are wise, that whole situation will draw you closer to God. And Jesus refers to the other side of that, saying that those who have all they need that don't see a need for God, it's hard for them to intimately connect. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to make it into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus calls this woman out. He doesn't let her remain unnoticed. And she doesn't want to be called out. She wants distance. She touches him, gets healed, wants the distance to come back. Keep me back. Keep me back. I don't want to be noticed. And Jesus pulls her out. And she gets to look in his eyes. Look, could you imagine looking in his face when he says, go in peace. You're healed. <laughs> and we will talk about this woman and this moment, for the rest of human existence, Jesus called her out, kept the intimacy there, kept the closeness there, and as a result, she had this amazing experience. If God wants something like that for you, don't you want to be a part of it? How close do you feel to Jesus right now? I mean, is there a distance there, or do you feel like he has moved into your neighborhood? Maybe you feel like you're ceremonially unclean because of what you have done in the past or what you continue to struggle with. You feel like, who am I to make any effort to draw close to Jesus? Who am I? Well, here's who you are. You are one that Jesus wants to heal. You are one that Jesus wants to bless through that experience. May our spiritual experiences draw us closer to one another, draw us closer to God. That's why we do Wednesday Night Life, so, so that a, a church and a bunch of people here in a room can get smaller on a Wednesday night, and you can be with classroom-sized groups, and you can learn more about each other, and you can learn more, more about God. It's, there's less distance there. That's why we value small groups and why we invite you into the art of marriage idea so that you can get to know some other people and, and there's less distance there and there's more intimacy. 
It's about loving God and loving others, and these experiences are, allow us to have less distance and more intimacy, and therefore less apathy. When God and church and other people that you're doing life with, when they remain distant, you, you'll miss out on the healing. If Jesus is distant, it's easy to ignore him. It's easy to avoid him. And then we sink into apathy. In the next few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to reduce that distance. We're going to have what we call our time of response. And for those of you who've been here for a while, there's a number of different options here in the room, and maybe you've never participated in any of these options. And maybe that distance from when you're sitting to this cross where you can come and write on a red piece of paper and literally nail it to the cross, maybe that distance has felt like an enormous distance for you and you don't want to do that here in this place. It doesn't feel safe enough or whatever. Maybe today's the day for you to make that dangerous walk and have an experience with God in that way. Up here at the front, there's unassisted prayer. You can come uh, to this altar, if you will, and no one will tap you on the shoulder and bother you. You can come light a candle. Jesus says he's the light of the world. Uh, over further to the right, there'll be uh, someone on our board who would uh, be honored to anoint you with oil for emotional or spiritual or physical healing. At either of the exit signs, folks on our prayer team would love to pray with you. We call that assisted prayer. And then in the center, right in the center of the room is our communion. If you're a follower of Christ, you can come and take the body, take the, the bread and the cup, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus. Of course you can stay where you are, absolutely. But may you just be nudged a little bit today to reduce the distance between you and God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you redefine your relationship with us. From the very beginning, the whole story is about you having a restored relationship with us. That's the story. And that through Jesus, you've done an amazing, radical thing. May we uh, not just uh, think about that or understand that here uh, today, God, but we want to experience that. So we want to encounter you. We want to be fully attentive in this apathy-free moment so that we can draw close to you in a way that you're inviting us. <laughs> Come here in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.